Well, a happy Super Sunday, everyone, and all of you watching online as well. Now, I just need to know something. As a pastor needing to know what kind of diet my flock needs, I need to know. How many of you are rooting for the Seahawks who are captained by that God-fearing, Christ-honoring quarterback, Russell Wilson? Okay, very good. And how many of you are rooting for that other team? Really? I've got people in my church rooting for the Patriots. That deflates me. And how many of you could care less because all you care about are the commercials and the snacks? Very, very good. That's what I thought. Oh, and by the way, for all of you that are under 25, I'm going to tell you something you didn't know. Once upon a time, the Dallas Cowboys played in a Super Bowl. You can Google that and check me on that. Now, here's what's interesting. Over 160 million people today will watch this game. And two months later, most of them won't be able to tell you who won. Even the most ardent fans will have a hard time remembering the score. Some of you are big NFL fans, and you would have a hard time naming the last five champions, and I know you couldn't tell me the score. But 2,000 years ago, on the very first Super Sunday, We're still talking about the victory. We still remember the stats from the day. The day the gospel was unleashed. So open your Bibles to chapter 2 of Acts. And we read that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, if you haven't read the Bible a lot, you may not know what that word Pentecost means. There were several annual feast the Jews celebrated. The biggest was Passover when they remembered their deliverance from Egypt. And 50 days later was the celebration called Pentecost where they remembered the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai after they left Egypt. Now you can go back in Exodus 19 and read about that. And it says that there was a storm and there was wind and there was thunder and fire came down from heaven and it all represented the presence of God. So you're a Jewish person, it's Pentecost, you're remembering that day and suddenly you hear wind and you see fire come down. But this time God's presence is not resting on a place, this time it's resting on people. And so verse 6, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Yes, it was a crowd of Jewish people, but it was Jewish people from all over the Roman Empire. Jews lived all over the empire and it would be their heart's desire at least once in their life 
to go to Jerusalem for a Passover. And since they made that long trip to get there, they would stay and celebrate Pentecost too. So you have a lot of Jews that didn't grow up in Palestine and Hebrews, not their native language. And you read Acts 2 and you realize there are at least 16 different languages being spoken and understood. And so verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Every culture has an expression or a way of suggesting that someone is not very bright. You've heard the phrase, he's a few clowns short of a circus. Or she's proof evolution can go in reverse. Or he's so dumb, blondes tell jokes about him. In that day, if you wanted to question somebody's intelligence, you called them a Galilean. Because everyone knew they were the least educated, the most uncouth, the least trained and equipped of all the people in Israel. So how can Galileans be suddenly speaking in some other language? And some said, well, there's only one explanation. They're drunk. Just like those Galileans, they're already drunk in the morning. Well, they were under the influence. But it wasn't alcohol. It wasn't what's gotten into them. It was who's gotten into them. And the least expected group you could pick... To launch a global movement suddenly becomes the most empowered. But notice they don't talk about how they can talk in other languages. The focus wasn't on the gift, it was on the giver. And verse 11 is a very important verse to understanding this scene. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They're talking about God. They're telling us what God is up to. Because declaring the wonderful works of God is the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a note taker, write this down. And if you're not a note taker, write this down. God's deeds are on the tongue when His Spirit is in the heart. In the book of Acts, every time the Holy Spirit comes in power, people start talking God. Every time there is a filling of the Spirit, there is immediately... A telling of the gospel. See, that's why the Spirit came when and where He did. Jesus said before He ascended, now you go back to Jerusalem and wait. He didn't say, now go off on a private retreat. He didn't say, go get in your closet all by yourself. Isn't it interesting? The Holy Spirit came right in the middle of the hustle and the bustle of a busy, crowded city. 
because the Holy Spirit comes to us for others. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit if you are in Christ. Your salvation is sealed, but not your lips. And when you have a chance to talk about the wonderful works of God and you get afraid and you don't speak, that is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes so that the gospel can go because the gospel needs the prophethood of all believers. Now you're thinking, did you just make up a word? Yes, I did, but I didn't make up the idea. You've heard of the priesthood of all believers, that every Christian is a servant. But before the Bible talks about the priesthood of all believers, Peter talks about the prophethood of all believers. Let me show you verse 16. They're asking, what's going on? So Peter says, let me explain. Verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So the last days are referring to the final chapter of God's redemptive program. This story started with Abraham, and now we're in the final move of God. And it was always God's intention in this last chapter that all his children would be divinely empowered messengers of good news. Jesus told us this was coming. Remember the series on the parting gift. He told his disciples, now you're going to be called before men. They're going to question you, but don't be afraid. Jesus said, my spirit will give my disciples my words because that's my moment. And this promise was for all races. The Holy Spirit was going to empower people to go to every tongue and every land and every people. And this promise was for all ages, no matter how old or how young. And this promise was for all genders. Men and women were going to be a part of God's plan to unleash the gospel. And I'm sure some people were shocked. But here's the deal. Everyone who fights fire knows that when you get fire together with a strong wind, you can't control what happens. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you can't control when He's going to come, who He's going to come to, or how He's going to use them to advance the gospel in the world. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just come to us for us. But he comes to us to use us to unleash the gospel to the world. He comes to us to empower our talk and not just our walk. And so, after telling the crowd what they wanted to know, what is going on? Peter says, now I'm going to tell you what you need to know. 
and he starts preaching the first gospel sermon. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Now, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I'm excited. Now, I like to preach, but I especially like to preach about preaching. And I'm getting to preach about the first gospel sermon ever preached. And everybody knows every good sermon has three points. And so did Peter's. Point number one, death is defeated. Remember, the gospel is news. It is announcing an event, something that actually happened. And what happened, Peter says, did not catch heaven by surprise. This was always God's plan A. This man, he says, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you put him to death. But God raised him from the dead because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, here's a mystery I don't fathom, but I believe. God does not plan evil. But God does use evil in his plan. God never makes men choose evil. But God's plan is not interrupted when they choose evil. He can even use their choice to still accomplish his plan. And so to show this, Peter quotes later in the sermon from Psalm 16 where David said, You did not abandon me in the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. And Peter says, Who's he talking about? David wasn't talking about himself. David's grave is still here. We can go see it. He was talking about the Messiah. Don't you understand? It was always God's messianic intent through the Messiah to defeat death. Now remember, he is preaching this in the city where they killed and buried Jesus. Christianity was not birthed some 2,000 miles away. This was the city where it should have been most easy just to go get the corpse of Jesus and prove Peter a liar. But they couldn't because the tomb was empty and everyone knew it. They could not discredit what God had accredited. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that Jesus was shown to be the Son of God when He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. There are faiths today that claim to be Christian. That will actually teach that the resurrection was an impossibility and that's okay because all that's really important is that we believe old things can become new. What? The resurrection of Jesus is mentioned 104 times in the New Testament. Christianity without a resurrection is not just missing the last chapter. It is missing the whole story. 
if that tomb is not empty, then Christianity is. But that day, the gospel was unleashed because everybody knew that tomb was unoccupied. And those people, men and women, went into the world and they could not be intimidated. No, they could be threatened. They could be imprisoned. They could be tortured. They could be martyred. But they couldn't be stopped because Jesus had defeated death. Later, Paul would say, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. And he did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he's made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. So let's say you have to work this afternoon, and some of you probably do. You're not going to be able to watch the game, but you really care about your team. So you tape the game. And on the way home tonight from work, somebody tells you the score, and your team won. Will that affect how you watch the game? In the first quarter, your quarterback throws an interception. Will you get angry? In the second quarter, your team makes a stupid penalty and costs a score. Will you scream at the TV set? It changes everything. How you handle the trials and the setbacks and the obstacles of life when you know your team cannot lose, doesn't it? This past week, we've had a number of funerals at our church. I know this sermon makes a difference. I remember the story, one of my favorites, of the preacher at at a funeral. He was behind the casket trying to explain the resurrection to the people. He said, as he pointed to the casket, all we have in that box is the shell. The nut is gone. (laughs) And I'm sure those early Christians must have seemed like nuts to the world. But they could not be stopped because Jesus had stopped The tyranny of the grave. Amen. I'm just going to amen myself. (laughs) That was good. And God raised up Jesus, but not just from the grave. Verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. That's the second point of the sermon, that Jesus is exalted. You see, Peter keeps emphasizing what God thinks of Jesus. God affirmed his ministry through miracles and signs and wonders. God reaffirmed his sinlessness and his perfect efficacy on the cross by raising him from the dead. And now God has confirmed his status by seating him right beside the throne. And that explains, Peter says, what you're asking about. It is Jesus who is pouring out the Holy Spirit 
on all of us. By the way, side note, no one is technically baptized by the Holy Spirit, but you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit because this is the privilege and the right and the honor given to Jesus' exalted Lord to pour out His Holy Spirit on those who believe in Him. Now, why is that important? Because they saw the signs and the wonders and the miracles and said, you're a fraud. They heard the word that I am the son of God and they said, you're a liar. And they killed him. And now, Peter says... What you're watching is what Jesus is doing because a higher court has overturned your verdict. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. I'll say it again. Nobody makes Jesus Lord. God's already done that. God has made him Lord. God has declared him Christ. And suddenly, this good news sermon has become very bad news. And so when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And all of history hinges on this answer. And what if The answer was nothing. You can't do anything. You had your chance. You blew it. God doesn't give screw-up second chances. You can spend eternity paying for your iniquity. But then, the bad news became very good news. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise, it's for you and for your children and for all who are far off. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And the part I like is the part that is the least discussed. I love the part that says this promise is for all who are far off. That's the third point of the sermon. All are invited. No one is too far off when the gospel is unleashed. The gospel reaches past race. There is no tribe. There is no color. There is no tongue. There is no ethnic group too far off from the reach of the gospel. The gospel reaches past status. You can't be too old. You can't be too young. You can't be too rich or too poor or too educated or too illiterate. To be too far off from the gospel. The gospel reaches past gender. 
2,000 years later, we still live in a world telling some people your sex makes you less important. But the gospel reaches past all that bigotry and says to every single person, you are valued, you are important, and you matter to God. And the gospel reaches past anything in your past. If you've had an abortion, you're not too far off from the reach of the gospel. If you walked out and blew up your family, you're not too far off from the reach of the gospel. If you've been in prison, if you are in prison, if you've lived most of your life imprisoned to your addictions, If you're thinking today, I can't believe I did that. I wish I could go back. If you've told God a thousand times, I'll never do that again, but you did. You're not too far off from the reach of the gospel. Now, here's how I know that. Because the gospel could reach the people that killed Jesus. And so the gospel can reach you. God is bringing the whole world together in Christ. In fact, Super Sunday is really the reverse of Babel. In Genesis 11, when mankind was being wicked and rebellious, God confused the languages of the people. And the result is that ever since, men have been divided. But here at Super Sunday, God is bringing people from different tongues and different lands together because we're going to speak the same language now. And the language is the gospel of Jesus. In 1917, Cam Townsend went to Guatemala to spend a year uh, giving away Spanish Bibles. It was the last month of his time there. And an Indian from the Cachaquel tribe came up to him and asked what he was doing and gave him a Spanish Bible, which the Indian could not read. And he said, if your God is so smart, why didn't he speak my language? And Cam got convicted. He didn't go home. He spent the next 13 years of his life translating the scripture into the language of a people group of 200,000. And he started a little organization you may have heard of called the Wycliffe Bible Translators. Because he understood what everyone who has received the gospel understands. That Jesus is the language of redemption for every tribe and every color and every tongue and every language. And in Jesus, God is going to bring the world back together. I want you to imagine a first century Christian explaining life in Jesus. A neighbor would say, I hear you got religion. That's good. Religion's very good. Where's your temple? Well, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. Well, where do your priests work? Well, we don't have priests. Jesus is our priest. Well, then where do you give your sacrifices to appease your God? We don't. Jesus is our sacrifice. Well, what kind of religion is that? Well, that's just the point. It's not religion. It's the gospel offering a relationship to God through Christ. Religion offers rules to get right with God. The gospel says no one can do enough to get right with God. 
The gospel says Jesus can get it right for everyone. And the gospel says anyone can be right about Jesus. And that was really where Peter was going with this whole sermon. It was all leading basically to one question that the gospel always leads to. Do you agree with God about Jesus? The point of Peter's sermon is that to turn your back on Jesus is to turn away from God. I know that's politically incorrect. I know we're supposed to say we all believe in God. We just have different paths and we have different ways. And some people choose Jesus and some people don't. No, that's not what he preached. He preached if you are anti-Jesus, you can't be pro-God. Because God has made it clear what he thinks about Jesus. That's why the audience was so cut to the heart. That's why they were so eager to get baptized. And that day, 3,000 people got baptized. And by the way, in the New Testament, nobody argues about should you get baptized. All the arguments people have about baptized, we brought to the table. Because they understood baptism is simply my publicly proclaiming to the world, I agree with God about what he said and did in Jesus. And once I knew who Jesus is, once I said I agree with God, get me in some water, I'm going down. And so... Once again, all of you that are old enough to remember the Dallas Cowboys actually played in a Super Bowl will also remember a name of a man named Evil Knievel. He was a motorcycle jumping daredevil back in the 70s. He made his name by jumping trucks and animals and gorges. Broke over 400 bones in his body. By his own admission... He was a wicked man. He struggled with alcoholism, broken relationships and marriages, a terrible temper, imprisonment. And toward the end of his life, he said he sensed God saying, Robert, which is his real name, I have spared you and rescued you so many times. It is time to get to know me through Jesus. And so he found a Christian friend. He didn't have many. And that friend gave him a book. And that book was called The Case for Christ. And he read that book. And he said, I don't know how to explain it. I just came to believe. I began to believe. And Jesus. And I got down on my knees and I said, God, I believe. I believe in Jesus. Now, 30 years earlier, he had his tombstone made. Because when you do what he did, the chances of dying were always very real. And that side of the tombstone talks about all of his acclaim and his accomplishments. But when he contracted cancer and was in the last months of his life, he had something changed on the other side of that tombstone. 
And you can go to the cemetery in Montana and see it today. And at the bottom of the other side are these words. Believe in Jesus Christ. So what did he do when he believed in Jesus? Well, he went to a church and said, I want to get baptized. And the pastor said, well, would you like to uh, give your testimony first? He said, sure. So he told the congregation why he wanted to get baptized. And they began to sing Amazing Grace. And 700 people came that day to get baptized. Because when the wind and the fire start talking Jesus, you can't control what's going to happen. I'd like to ask everyone to stand up. If you're on one of our prayer teams, would you take your place? And we want to invite you today to come and and receive prayer if there's something going on in your life that's a burden to you. But today especially, I want to make a plea for some to come and be baptized. Do you agree with God about Jesus? You say, well, I didn't come planning to get baptized. You know, on Super Sunday, 3,000 people got baptized that weren't planning on it when they woke up that morning. But if you believe in Jesus, you need to go public and you need to be baptized. And it's the Holy Spirit calling you right now saying, what are you waiting for? It's time to get down. So we're going to sing. We're going to worship. The Spirit's going to move. And we're going to witness people come to Jesus while we worship.